Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texfootball.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can uh, subscribe to our magazine as well at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson here. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up? Is anybody else taking a sabbatical from their teams for the rest of the year? <laughs> uh, I think there's a fair number. I mean, see, November is like the point, and this is true with NFL too, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. where you're just like, okay, we've got enough games in. I I give up. There's nothing. Right. There's no joy for me here. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's nothing for me to enjoy. You know, maybe, maybe I'll watch like the, the last game or two when they put some of the Put some of the young kids in but uh mm-hmm. until then <laughs> until then uh obviously maybe not as much of a priority um and real quick before before we get into it too much i do want to say make sure to pick up our basketball magazine at textbasketball.com basketball season is right around the corner uh and we've got a lot of great content both in the magazine and up on the website that you need to check out but let's go ahead and get right into it so at number 12 we have one team in the state of Texas that has managed to make it through nine games without losing a single one to COVID-19. And the Texas State Bobcats are rewarded by being one and eight. Oh, man. Good God. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I mentioned, I, 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 think I'm, I think I'm done. I think, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm taking the sabbatical for the rest of the year. Um, this team is bad. Uh, this team isn't fun to watch. Um, I think I tuned in. I missed the first couple drives, so I missed kind of the, the when they uh, took an early lead. Yeah. And then I came right in, and Tyler Vitt threw a pick six, and App State led the rest of the way. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Uh, Jamil Jeter is really good. Um, yeah. But again, yeah. when they don't have quarterback play, who can somebody who can consistently – hold on to the ball and then just move the offense. I mean, Marcel Barbie's really good, but we saw this a couple of years ago when they had Keenan Brown, right? They had a dynamic playmaker and it at times just doesn't matter because everybody else just doesn't work. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it's what else can I say? Right. Before I'm just uh, playing the same song. Yeah. It, this went basically exactly the same as every other Texas State game, which is that the game starts, they look pretty dang good, mm-hmm. and they look like they're going to compete, and then the other team is just better, right? right? And One thing goes wrong, and then all of a sudden, boom, it just right. the avalanche starts. Then everything goes wrong. And, right. you know, again, I mean, I've, I, I feel like I'm a broken record at this point just saying the same thing over and over again. Obviously, the schedule has not done them any favors and mm-hmm. will continue to not do them any favors, right? Like, like, this is a better team than last year. I don't think there's much question about it. Right. But there just have been basically no opportunities to prove it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, App State's better than Texas State. I don't think that's, like, a huge surprise. So, uh, now, now you finish out at Georgia Southern, and Georgia Southern is looking pretty dang good right now. Arkansas State's probably now your best shot at another win and arkansas state's always a good team mm-hmm. and uh coastal's gonna beat some brains in <laughs> coastal is not gonna be fun at all 
remember when we were coming into the year and we were like, well, Coastal's a team that, you know. <laughs> right, they get Coastal. Ooh, look at that. That's, that's, a, that's a game they could potentially win. No, not happening. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, Texas State, number 12. Nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. Number 11, Baylor. So, Baylor's down mm-hmm. to 1-4 mm-hmm. after a 38-31 to loss to Iowa State. And I will say, they showed some stuff in this game. You know, they, they, they looked like they had made improvements. You know, they didn't look like the mm-hmm. same team. Uh, the biggest thing that I'll say is that Charlie Brewer, while flawed, looked more like early 2019 flawed than early 2020 flawed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he threw the ball down the field a lot more than he had in the first couple of games. Uh, you know, with and, – and look, it's it's – the the sort of the deal that that you got last year where sometimes there's misses sometimes he just can't throw as far as he needs to throw um you know the decision making still leaves some stuff to be desired but uh, but you know you did see some of it right it's like you did see mm-hmm. some of what you thought you'd see this year from Charlie Brewer um yeah i mean they went up uh, i i want to say 21-7 after a pick six and you know, just kind of struggled to get back in the game after that. Kind of struggled to score. And Iowa State's a good defense, right? Like Iowa State's a good mm-hmm. team. I, I don't want to overreact to to Iowa State clamping down because they're a good team. But yeah, you know, it's it's one of those games that you go on the road and you really feel like you know you should have had that game because you just won't have many opportunities like this. Right. I think so. Watching this game, it was kind of it was interesting because, like, yes, Charlie Brewer looked probably the best he has all year yeah. um, the ball was coming off his hands a lot better like it just looked like it had more zip the one thing I did notice though was the more I thought about the game and credit this might be a more credit to Larry Fedora than opposed to maybe Charlie Brewer maybe he is maybe he was healthier for this game than he has been but I think the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to credit Larry Fedora was Charlie Brewer was throwing to a lot of more open receivers yes and yes. A lot of the throws he was making, granted, again, he wasn't making those throws earlier in the year, but they were to pretty uh, pretty wide open guys. The one to Ebner was the one that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even most of his big plays were to guys that were, had about a good yard or two of separation. Um, as opposed to somebody who, Brock Purdy, who did not play well, right? I thought Brock Purdy really struggled against Baylor. But the throws Brock Purdy made, in particular the one to cut it to seven, uh, which I think was to Chase Allen, and then the other one to Charlie Kohler, who took the lead, or I might have those inversed, but um, reversed. But uh, there was one that he threw to the back of the end zone, then one he threw that was kind of a more over-the-shoulder grab. Those are the throws where I was like, okay, I don't know if Charlie Burrow makes that throw. Right. And, 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 and I don't, again, they, they, right. And then he, he, again, again, that's, that's asking him to maybe be a quarterback that he hasn't shown himself to be, but that was the, to me, the difference in this game was like, okay, Charlie Brewer can hit the open guys, but when those guys aren't open, he's not the guy that's going to throw them open. He's not the guy that's going to, you know, and that's what happened later on in the year, right. Or later on in the game where, you know, Iowa State kind of shirt up a little bit more. Um, the running game wasn't as reliable for them, so they didn't have that balance to to kind of take the pressure off. And Iowa State they basically forced him to kind of get back into the game his own, and he and he couldn't do that. And somebody like Brock Purdy, who again played pretty poorly, 
was able to make some of those throws, even though Baylor was uh, a little bit more aggressive in making him be more assertive. And again, he also had Brees Hall doing a lot on that right, on that side, right. so they had to worry about him. But he was still making some difficult throws. Yeah, the, the thing that I think that I'll say about Brewer is that Brewer is very good at ball placement within like 12 yards of the field, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the real issue is that – you know, once it's down the field, it, it's just trying to get it there, right? It's mm-hmm. not about trying to put it in the right spot. And, um, you know, and, and that's one of the things, you know, like uh, like late in the year last year, you know, Brewer still had some pretty high completion percentages because, you know, when it is an eight-yard out, he can put it right in the right spot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously, obviously you see against a defense like Iowa State, especially one that plays kind of that three-safety look, it's just harder to do it down the field. And the one thing that I'll say, and I mean, obviously it's just hard to tell from the TV broadcast. You can't always see all this stuff. It did mm-hmm. look like they were running more deeper routes than they had. Right. Yeah. I didn't notice couple, that too. The couple of weeks before. And even if, if Brewer wasn't going there all the time, it made a difference just in terms of, uh, just in terms of freeing up the field. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the funny thing about this is that, heading into this game, this was their first game without Tyquan Thornton, who didn't make mm. the trip with them, right? Who's mm. their biggest speedster. And uh, they were without John Lovett, too, at running back. And I, I do think that it's no coincidence that when Craig Squirrel Williams went out and the running game kind of disappeared, that Brewer all of a sudden looked a whole lot worse. Because, you know, they just started throwing guys out there. Because Ebner hasn't, hasn't been fully healthy this year. I don't know what exactly the deal is with Ebner, but they haven't really used him consistently. Um, and they were just – they got just all sorts of guys in there. They got Quillen Jones in there. They got Tay McWilliams, the true freshman, in there. Because they were just trying to find something in the run game uh, mm-hmm. when, when Craig Williams went out. And you kind of saw that as soon as that went away, it made everything a lot harder. So, look, all this to say, I mean – Baylor hasn't played the best teams in the conferences yet, <laughs> you know, like, like they have one win and they have a chance at another win against a team that we'll talk about next, obviously next week. We'll see how that goes. I mean, that's going to be a critical game, I think. Um, but yeah, you know, you're sitting here at one and four and you've already played most of the worst teams in the conference. So I, I don't know kind of where you kind of feel like you go from here. Right. So moving on to that next team, Texas Tech sitting at 2-5 and five after a 34-18 loss to TCU. This was the first game, and I mean, we somewhat against uh, Oklahoma as well, but this was the first game to me where the Henry Columbia offense just did not work at all. Oh, man. Yeah. This was, looking at the final score, you know, it wasn't even that close. Oh, not even close. Not even close. I'll, like, I'll we'll jump talk in, about and, say, I'll yeah, jump in we'll, and say that both of the touchdowns that they scored. because We're scored just brain farts in cover. Some guy slipped in right. coverage. Two guys fell down in coverage. That's how right. both touchdowns happened. And then when, when it looked like it was going to happen again, uh, TCU got a pick to end the game. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it was literally not that close. They probably should have closer to 10 or 7 points. Um, and maybe even not even a touchdown. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty discouraging. And especially because... TCU's offense, although, again, we'll talk about them in a bit. I mean, they kind of found an explosion on the run game, but they weren't that impressive until those big running plays hit. Um, and, they, you know, tech, the game was there for them to take. And it, they needed these, like, heaves and these mental lapses and slips from TCU's secondary to even get this close. And 
Yeah, it, I mean, Henry Columbia, he couldn't, he, the pressure was there, right? Like, he didn't have a lot of time to throw. This is the most uncomfortable I think he's looked in the pocket to me. Um, I'm thinking particularly of the, I think it was the drive after they stopped TCU, and then Henry Columbia just gets a sack, just gets sacked and drive stops right there, and, you know, they don't even get out of the shadow of, the, of their own goalpost. Um, of course, they just let TCU get the best field position in the world um, multiple times. <laughs> and, um, and so TCU, again, when TCU doesn't even look that good on offense, they're able to just walk it in because they're starting from like advantageous position, basically every single time in Tech's, tech's half. And again, that, that's not on the defense. That's on the offense of not being able to move the ball and turning it over and just giving it back to them in terrible spots. So it was, you know, both sides of the ball. This is probably the first, game of the year where I was like okay it's just both sides of the ball just did not work at all and it just you know the 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 inconsistencies of the offense played into the defense and just left them in bad positions yeah in their defense I think that the defense played their ass off like they oh, had, sure. they had those lapses, right? And that's right. the big thing. Like again, think, you look at look look at the starting field position and the fact that TCU yeah. only scored thirty four. Yeah. No, I, I think that the defense absolutely played its ass off. And um, you know, you you look at uh, you look at the scores, right? Like what ended up happening was that Max Duggan broke away for two huge runs, and that made things look further than they are. But but you look sure. at sort of the state of the game when both those plays happened. It was very much like ah. Here we go again, right? Like mm-hmm. it was, it was very much like, what do we even do with this? What do we do now, right? Like the mm-hmm. last play was an 81-yard run, obviously that uh, for a touchdown that that got them to 34. Because, you know, uh, even late in that game, it was a it was a nine-point game. Uh, and by the way, we do have to talk about this. I I understand the thought process of trying to hurry and kick the field goal because you need mm-hmm. two scores. Mm-hmm. I understand like what you're thinking, but first right. of all, first of all, I uh, I might be wrong on this, but I believe the clock was running. So if it's second down, because they kick on second down, why don't you at least clock it? You know, why don't right. you at least slow it down so that your kicking unit isn't rushing onto the field? And a kicking unit, which, by the way, we had a lot of faith in Trey Wolf coming into the year, but he's really struggled so far, right? So it's not like that was a sure thing in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why aren't you slowing the game down so that he has some time? It, it felt like there were like three field goals in this game where t- they were just rushing. You know, like where, right. where they were like hurrying onto the field. And I don't know why that was. Um, and the other thing is that, well, you're like right on the edge of the red zone. You need a touchdown too, right? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it's not like you've. And it's like, those have been, those have been premiums. Like you don't want right. to, you, you can't keep pushing that off. <laughs> they had zero touchdown like drives right. in this game, right? You know, they had two broken plays and, and I think that it was a 60 yarder and a 57 yarder. Like, yeah. You know, that's, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't understand at that point. I understand, like, the idea that you're trying to save time and all that. But Tech had three timeouts left at that point. They had actually managed that side of the game very well to this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, I mean, again, I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I do think that Tech's defense deserves a lot of credit. They, they made Max Duggan's life very difficult uh, until he basically – I mean, this was, this was a freshman Max Duggan game, right? Like, this was sure, a – Sure, sure, sure. This was a, right. Like a, a, oh my gosh, everybody's covered. I can't put it on the money because I'm, I'm getting, you know, hounded by the defensive Mm -hmm. line, which by the way, Texas Tech was out without like all of their defensive linemen. So credit to them Mm -hmm. for that. Um, Yeah. I mean, what ended up happening was, was on two separate occasions, 
the uh, the the Red Sea parted and Max Duggan was able to run basically unimpeded for touchdowns. And like, if you take out those two plays, which you can, I mean, obviously that's not how football works, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's like half of their total yards for the game right there. Right. right. So, um, I mean, yeah, especially with the kind of field position that TCU started with. I mean, I thought that T- Texas Tech's defense played really well, but look, if you're, if you're going to score, you know, if you're going to have one maintained drive for a field goal, the entire game, I, I don't know what we're doing here. Right. And to throw a little bit of a bone at Texas Tech's defense, I'm going to list off the um, the drive charts of where TCU started it's for ridiculous. some possessions and how, but also the end result for those because this plays into your thing that Texas Tech's defense played pretty well. So uh, here, reading from the beginning, TCU started the Tech 33, ended in interception. Uh, that was the one where Henry, Henry Columbia then, I think, got sacked and they ended up turning up, just giving the <laughs> yeah. ball back to him anyway. Uh, Texas Tech 32, field goal. Texas Tech 39, touchdown. Uh, scrolling down a little bit, Texas Tech 14, field goal. Texas Tech 22, missed field goal. So, like, again, this is they're, they're getting the ball in great positions, and Tech's just not letting them score. They let one touchdown after they started four possessions in, their, in Texas Tech's half, TCU. Um, or TCU had the ball in Texas Tech's half. That is, that's good. Like, you know, that, yeah. that's, and then again, then you go back to those, the, the two breakaway runs for Max Duggan. Like, okay, that is, that's, that is what it is. But Tech's defense was not the problem here. It was the no. offense putting them in no. those bad positions. Again, I mentioned the interception that where they just gave the ball right back to them on the first drive of the game, right. on their first drive of the game, TCU's. Um, and again, uh, over time, like, it's not going to surprise anyone that Max Duggan, who is an athletic quarterback, breaks one when the defense is just absolutely guessed. Right, right. Well, I will say uh, uh, Baylor versus Tech next week is going to be a terrible football game, and I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> so, somebody, these two teams have Delicious garbage. Every, every single way to lose football games, and somebody has to win, I think, I assume. What's, I, I don't, what's the Oscar the Grouch, uh, uh, I Love Trash, the meme? <laughs> <laughs> right 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 that's that's what we're going to be getting at next week but okay, okay. so at number nine right. we got <clears throat> we got north texas number eight we got utep both of them had games postponed over the weekend uh, actually utep's game against fiu was straight up canceled because utep's already rescheduled two games um mm-hmm. and then north texas has theirs postponed it's been rescheduled at this point for december 3rd so that will be replayed um number seven not a whole lot to say about this game houston loses 38 10 to cincinnati um <sighs> Yeah. Uh, uh, motion to make Cincinnati blitzing illegal. <laughs> it seems unfair, right? Like every time they send somebody, they get they get some kind of pressure. It seems, and I'm just like, why do y'all get to rush? Like, why do y'all get to blitz? <laughs> they sh- that shouldn't happen. I, I mean, I want to be very, very clear here. Um, yeah. Cincinnati is one of the four best teams in America, and it looks so good. Man. And I I understand like Ohio State's back. I don't care. Ohio State has done nothing to this point that's anywhere near as impressive as Cincinnati. Like, I'm not saying that they won't at any point, but they haven't as yet, right? Like, they just haven't. And, um, you know, now Clemson has a loss. I understand, you know, it's going to be a weird deal when Trevor Lawrence is back and you're you're trying to parse through all that, obviously. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, look, if you're you're comparing, uh, you know, one loss Clemson to Mm -hmm. – to lossless uh, to undefeated Cincinnati I couldn't find the word there I mean it's not like they haven't played anybody too right like over the last uh, over the last three games they've obliterated Houston Memphis and SMU like those are three good teams 
and they'll get UCF later in the year. And if they obliterate them, that's a big deal. And then obviously they'll get a, a conference title game potentially against SMU again. So mm-hmm. like the path is there. I, I'm sorry. Right. They, sh- they should be at this moment, a top four team. Um, no, they're, they're so, they're so impressive. And like, right. you know, Desmond Ritter played okay again, right? We, we, yeah. It was mostly that balance. That's just absolutely deadly. Like they can control a game however they want. And when you have a guy like Desmond Ritter, who, who is obviously he's, he's most, most lethal with his legs, but you know that he can hit something over the top. And so when you're getting absolutely destroyed by him and uh, Jared Dokes in, the, in the, the option game, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, right, then they have a guy, then they have Ritter who can step back and hit a pass over the top. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, Jared, you know, Jared Dokes is the guy on that offense, but when you have somebody like Ritter who can pull it, and be an absolute, like, almost guaranteed touchdown every time because you're so keyed in on dokes. Like, it's unfair. And then they can just sit on a game whenever they need to because they're so good on defense and they're not going to let teams get back in. You know, when you're Houston, you're just still trying to find your footing. And, again, this this game played out similarly. I hate for Houston that this game was uh, right after the UCF game because, again, like, we think Houston is a much improved team, but those two teams right now just look to be on a different level um to where Houston isn't right now and I feel like again it's really it really sucks that those are in back-to-back weeks because Houston is a I do think Houston is a good football team but that team especially Cincinnati are just absolutely out of this world right now right and I mean obviously we're not a Cincinnati podcast but I mean the it's hard yeah. to talk about this game without like right. just without being one right uh, or it's hard to talk about houston without being super negative about houston but right which is why we're trying to be positive about cincinnati because <laughs> right. i don't think that it's fair to be just con- yeah. completely negative on houston about right this. but you know heading into the season i think that the thing you know i knew that cincinnati was gonna have a good defense i think that their mm-hmm. defensive line has been even better than i expected which mm-hmm. is saying something um right. but you know really the the reason that this team has gone from really good to oh my god is because of how Desmond Ritter has grown like it's just such a different team now that you have to respect him in the past game you know he's not gonna destroy you in the past game but you do have to Mm -hmm. respect him in the past game in a way that you didn't at that level and and again you mentioned that option game I mean what do you do there's no right answer right I mean I was uh I was watching this uh I I was watching a, a clip from Urban Meyer the other day where he was talking about the perfect football play right and mm-hmm. and basically what his argument was is that you want to play where on any given play you either can pass you can hand it off or you can run with the quarterback right and mm-hmm. because then the defense can't be right like you just get to pick and it's really whether your quarterback makes the right decision at that point because you know the way that football traditionally works obviously is that you know it's kind of 10 on 11 because usually the quarterback is not a a piece that you have to account for when you're doing numbers. So when a quarterback can run like Desmond Ritter, I mean, it just completely changes the game. And mm-hmm. it, it's just, who boy. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't I know about there that. Was, there were some signs for Houston, right? Like, for sure, for sure. Uh, I think it was Nathaniel Dell had a big play. That yeah, was like, that was okay. great. When they get into open space, they did force turnover on Ritter. Isn't something that he usually does when he's playing mm-hmm. at his best, right? Um, and so I, it wasn't all negative. Um, no, 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 no. There were some signs, no. but again, we're dealing with a, t- a top five team here in the nation, which again, asking Houston to make that jump in, in year two in this weird situation with no spring and all this stuff and still and getting a delayed start, like that's just unfair. Yeah, and, and let's just close out with this. Obviously, Houston was missing their best player on both offense right, and exactly. defense with, with Marquez Stevenson out and Peyton Turner out. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
whatever it happened <laughs> on to the next thing so this week they get south florida so you know hopefully hopefully uh they can prove some of this uh, improvement against that so sure uh next to uh number six utsa number five rise they were scheduled to play each other in a game that we probably talked way too much about considering it didn't uh, happen so, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's uh you know it sucks it sucks um utsa had made it eight games to this point without having any COVID issues and mm-hmm. you know like nothing's promised in this season obviously i mean i think that every team by the the time that things are done is going to have probably at least one postponed um so, you know, this was UTSA's week to get postponed. Hopefully they get things back together. Uh, and they play UTEP this week. And finally, UTEP's on the road. So hopefully they'll be able to handle that all right. So mm-hmm. anyway, moving on. Uh, number four, TCU. And I'll tell you what, man. It, <laughs> it really is an indicator of how not great the middle of the state is this year that TCU's number four. Yeah, it um it wasn't good uh but they hit some big plays in the running game i mean even aside from the max duggan like breakaways mm-hmm. like the running game was better right was, they were reliably they were reliably decent um it's just that they had nothing else to work with so they were just relying on those yeah um zach evans got the biggest uh biggest carry load of the season which is good again shows he's really getting act uh getting up to speed which is something that probably couldn't come at a better time for them uh, yep, especially yep. If, if max duggan is going to kind of, I don't want to say revert, but definitely flash a little bit of last year's struggles. Um, you definitely want to have as many options. So again, him getting up, he didn't play great, but 10 carries is something. Um, but yeah, like uh, it, it was really frustrating to watch Tech actively give the ball, uh, give the game away and TCU try to give it back <laughs> until those big runs. Um, you know, again, you have those you have those Max Duggan, uh, those two big runs to where you're like, oh, okay, things are fine. It's like, eh, not really. Like, outside <laughs> of those, it was pretty bad. Right. And, um, you know, it, the good thing that I'll say, right, is that I think that TCU has started to finally, after all of this time, figure out who their best running backs are. Um, yeah. and, and obviously that's Zach Evans, who got 10 carries. Darwin Barlow also got 11 carries. Um, you know, Look, no, no offense to the kid, but Amari DiMarcado finally is not their number one running back, which I think mm-hmm. makes all the sense in the world. Right. Uh, it was kind of interesting, um, unless I missed something, I think he was there, but uh, but DeMarco Foster has kind of fallen out of the rotation for them. But, you know, I mean, I think that you do kind of have to pick, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we'll, we'll talk about Texas next, who I kind of feel like is in a similar boat, but, you know, it's – it's just hard to only get 10 carries and try to build some momentum off of that. You know, that's just not, that, that's something that's tough to do as a running back. Um, and yeah, you know, we were kind of talking about Desmond Ritter in, in that option game. Obviously I, I think that now TCU starting to find their guys with Barlow and Evans. Uh, you know, I think it's made the, the quarterback option game a lot more dangerous as well. Definitely. No, it has. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, I don't know if their reluctance to, stick more with the running game um and by running game i mean the non-max duggan running game um is something by design or if there's something that they're not seeing from the running backs which is also possible because again they haven't settled on like a really consistent two all year it's been like every game it seems like this different two guys have the most carries i think you know barlow was a guy that we expected to see um at the beginning of the year so again we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how that kind of unfolds definitely and so um the the thing that i'll the thing that i'll close with with this one is 
<laughs> I think it was Drew Davison who put this stat together. This is the third straight year that TCU has won a football game where their quarterback threw for fewer than 100 yards. So mm. there's that. Uh, hopefully that, <laughs> that isn't replicated. But the funny thing about it, just to talk landscape for a second, is that, all right, in, uh, TCU now is 3-3 three and three after starting the season, obviously 1-3. and three. And th- now they play two of the worst teams in the Big 12 the next two weeks in West Virginia and Kansas. So all of a sudden, <laughs> the Frogs have life. I, I, I don't know. This has been a really weird season for TCU, honestly. But, uh, you know. Sure. Yeah. No. (laughs) Here we are. They're number four. Uh, Number three, obviously another team that's had certainly an interesting season so far, the Texas Longhorns. Uh, Yeah. um, I have no idea what to take. I do have an idea of what to take. Uh, The defense was pretty good. The defense played really well. Um, Again, Jared Diggy had a lot of yards, but nothing much to show for it. the secondary, which has been pretty maligned. Um, one guy who has not had a good year is Caden Stearns, and he continued to not look that great. But everybody else made plays. Like, um, I was trying to think of uh, one particular play. I was uh, – B.J. Foster. He had a big pass breakup towards the mm-hmm. end there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and guys like that who, you know, rightfully have been criticized for not perhaps not developing into the, the unit or the players that we thought they could – they really stepped up. And when the offense wasn't – just had like a half step off, you know, they needed the defense to step up in big ways, and they did. Like, West Virginia could not get a rhythm going. Yeah. The thing that I'll say is that West Virginia's receivers are terrible. Just oh, awful. Yeah. Just, just so bad. I mean, I – they – like, I know that there's been a lot of blame in West Virginia circles going around to Jarrett Dagey, like, just being like, okay, you know, maybe he's good, not great. Like, obviously, he's not the best downfield passer – uh, which is part of why he wasn't recruited power five out of high school. But like, it, what do you want him to do? You know, mm-hmm. like, like, what do you want? I mean, I, I was trying to remember, I, I'm trying to remember what the play was. There was, there was a play where a guy broke, uh, I think that he had an in route in the end zone and Daigie hits him right in the hands and it bounced off his hands. Yeah. Like, and that, that's the game, right? Like that's right. the game right there is that they scored a field goal instead of a touchdown on that drive. I think that there were two drives where they uh where they went turnover on downs in the end zone mm-hmm. i am trying to remember uh yeah i mean they they go they go uh turnover on downs on their final drive of the game trying to get a fourth and one um and then they go yeah i mean there's another one where they're at the 16 right like it's just i don't know the other thing that you say too that makes you kind of be like okay you know texas's defense played better but what does it mean is that letty brown was kind of hurt right and mm-hmm. And so, like, once that running game went away, obviously it became a whole lot harder for West Virginia. So, you know, yes, I, I think that's the thing that you have to say is that Texas did what they should have done once West Virginia's offense fell apart, right? Like, they, oh, I think it was – was it the drive where – was that the, the drive that uh, – the one you're talking about uh, that ended with the DeMarion Overshone sack? Yeah, they that get the that field was goal. one of them. That was one okay. of them, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that gotcha. was one of them. And yeah. so, like – no, I mean, I, I think that West Virginia um, – hold on, I'm trying to pull up the drive chart here. Uh, mm. I think that West Virginia was in the red zone like four times. And right, and came they away came with, with like multiple field goals. Right, and, and, and they only came – I think they were in there like four times and only came away with two field goals too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. They went, <clears throat> they went turnover on downs. No, that's a, that is – that's not the one I'm talking about. Uh, they go field goal from the Texas nine. They go – 
field goal from the Texas 17. They go turnover on downs at the Texas 16, and they go turnover on downs at the Texas 8. Right? Like, they have four red zone trips and come away with six points. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, if they even just kick those field goals the other two times, yeah. they win the football game, right? They, uh, I, I think two of them were two of them. I'm, I'm looking at them right now. Um, two, one of them was the, the BJ Foster. Both, by yeah. way, both of them were, it was score was 13 to 17, 13. So they would yep. have taken the lead. Yep. Uh, one of them was the BJ Foster breakup, which was a good individual play. And the other one I think is more on the receiver. He just, he, he was, it was, yep. it, I don't know. It wasn't that great a coverage. He was kind of draped on him, but the receiver. Oh, just the, the Chris of... Brown play. Yes. Yeah. I, yes. I, I, to be honest, probably PI, but probably, yeah. I mean... But those calls happen. And I think, right. I think right. the receiver has to make that play. Yeah. Yeah. So it, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I come away more from this game being that West Virginia's receivers suck than being that impressed with Texas. Uh, and and yeah. look, the fact that we, West Virginia has an elite defense, like a legit great defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, d- does the past game over the last two games not look special? That's fair. And um, I mean, again, but again, though, I mean, is it me or does like, does Texas work at its best when they're playing these ugly games? I think that's like, fine. It's like, kind of, it's, 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 it's never, never like the, I mean, I'd say it's not what you want to see, right? You don't want to see this team uh, winning ugly games against teams they probably on paper should be better than. Um, but I mean, again, like it's just like these games. We look at last week's overtime win against Oklahoma State. We look at the Baylor game where it's like, okay, where they're just kind of like doing enough. And like uh, the first drive, it looked like it was going to be the B. John Robinson game. And then he had those two big runs and then like did nothing else. <laughs> like it was just kind of like, you know, he flashed like some potential, which he finished with over 100 yards. But again, it was they're buoyed by those two big gains he had in the first quarter. And that was kind of it. And Sam Ellinger just kind of played okay. But again, West Virginia's defense is good. So you take what you can get. And then, you know, the defense made enough plays. I think there were enough plays to where I'm, I come away legitimately impressed with Texas defense, right? Because you get the B.J. Foster play at the end, which, again, that was a good pass. That was just a really good pass breakup. You get the overshone sack, which results in a field goal. So you get a turnover on downs. You get a field goal forced by individual plays um, in a one-score game. Like, I, I'll, I will take that. And I where, con, compared to where this defense has been, I will put that in a notch in a, a big W in that column because, again, this defense has been torched because they have not had those individual plays at times this year. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. So the thing that I'll say, right, is, is again, looking to the pass game a little, I don't, I don't have a great diagnosis for why the pass game isn't working because mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger's down to 58% completion this year. Right. And that's after completing 76 and 68% of his passes in the first two games against UTEP and Texas Tech. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, this was the second game this season where he completed under 50% of his passes. And, you know, you mention it. And this was true against Oklahoma State last week where he completes 53%. Like, Sam Ellinger's going to go win games, right? Like, he's going to mm-hmm. go out there and make the play and win the game. Like, that's not in question. But I'm having a hard time kind of understanding why the past game has been so erratic. You know, I mean, I, I'd have to go and kind of yeah, watch again. I think that they're deep dive, but it, it's hard to say. Sure. I think – Part of it is, and I'm curious about, like, you know, there are guys who obviously score uh, these type of uh, – uh, or can, can look at the schemes better than I can and, and, and analyze that. But I'm wondering, because you look at his first couple years, right? You look at uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey a couple years ago, and then you look at um, – um, oh, my God, I'm forgetting his name last year. 
um, Ravens now. Devin DuVernay. Um, Different receivers, right? Different types of receivers, different uh, types of targets, but guys who are reliably available. And Sam Ellinger does not have that this year. He has guys who are clearly talented, right? Brennan Eagles, clearly talented. Joshua Moore, clearly talented. Tariq Black, uh, Jake Smith, Jared Wiley. Those guys are clearly talented players. But I don't look at any of those guys as guys who, like, any given down can be open. Sure, Um, sure. Last year, DuVernay was that guy, like, like prolifically productive in that regard. One of the, probably the best, I mean, easily the best slot receiver in the nation, in my opinion. Um, And again, he made himself an NFL career based off last year, right? Alone almost. And I just don't see that guy. Black was maybe thought of to be that guy. Brandon Eagles was supposed to kind of have that resurgence or, you know, show that break out as that big athletic target. He's again, he's shown flashes in this game, but I don't know. It's it's kind of been more. It's kind of been Joshua Moore, which is not really what I expected to see. And I don't know if that's a. I mean, a credit to him for being for for kind of uh, emerging. But again, it kind of shows to where the rest of the unit is that he's had to be the guy who's more or less been the most reliable. I mean, Jake Smith's the other guy you probably would look at as that other guy who's more consistently open than others. But again, I, I think that that's Sam Ellinger is a guy who is clearly talented enough to to make up for the lapses and the lack of a of a premier star wide receiver but he's somebody who is also cognizant of the need to have that safety blanket and he does does not have that this year sure no and i, I think that that's it's just weird to see right like i mean sure, no it definitely we, is <laughs> this is not what we expect from sam ellinger especially as a senior and no i mean i i ran the numbers taking out those first two games right where we're obviously plays utep which that's kind of a wash and against right. texas tech who was really playing poorly on defense at that point uh ellinger's completing 53.7 percent of his passes and averaging 229 yards per game jeez and he's doing that in in a Mike Yurcich system, which is quarterback friendly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like this should even in some ways from a passing perspective be more quarterback friendly than some of the spread stuff that they ran last year. And so, right. again, it, that's just the thing that's not adding up to me. And I definitely think that the receivers this year, like you mentioned, are far less consistent um, than they were the last couple of years. He's definitely been lucky in that regard, but they just have enough guys, right? Like, it just feels like they have enough guys. <laughs> you know, I, I don't feel like, because uh, there have been years for sure where it's just like, all right, who are you supposed to throw the ball to? But I, I don't think that's it this year, right? Sure, so I, sure. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, you see at the end of these games that like that Sam Ellinger's still in there, right? <laughs> where right, right, where right. he's, he's going to go make these plays. But I don't know. I mean, and, and the thing that's crazy too, obviously, that you look at is that despite the, 53% completion percentage and the not throwing for a ton of yards is that, I mean, he's still putting up huge touchdown numbers. Like mm-hmm. over the last two games, five touchdowns, no picks, right? Like anybody would usually take that, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe we, we need to try and do a deep dive one of these days to try to figure out what's going on or, or maybe have somebody on who might know a little more about it than we do. So definitely. I think one of the other benefits that will of this is, you know, again, one, they, they get Kansas coming up, they get Iowa State, which is obviously going to be a tough game, and then they get Kansas State, who hasn't looked that good. And so it might not matter. Like, Texas no, no, can no, no, still no. very much escape with a 7-2 seven, seven and two record, 
And, you know, at that point, it's a disappointment, but like, you know, it's kind of a shrug considering where they were a month ago. Like, um, I don't know, like he could continue to play this badly and they could still come out two and one or squeak out a three and oh, depending on, you know, Iowa State's not been consistent. So like they can absolutely, you know, give that game away to Texas and it'll just be more confusion to see because like I could see them, you know, Sam Ellinger playing exactly the same way and them coming out three and oh. Yeah. This is a very weird Texas here. I think that we can all agree to that. Very but, weird. Uh, but at the same time, it's been more of a, a 2018 weird Texas year. And obviously they made it to the Big 12 title game that year. So, yeah. so mm-hmm. uh, you know, sure. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Number two, we got the SMU Mustangs. Uh, SMU, I, I don't know how much you watched this game, um, but they were asleep in the first half just Ooh. totally totally asleep uh you know i mean they were in philly maybe they were out late uh you know in the streets or something like that uh, this past week but uh but yeah SME was was just asleep to start this game i think they had a 17 10 or 17 13 halftime deficit and then in the second half they were just like oh yeah we're way better than this team just way better. right yeah i could not see much of this game because when i finally caught it it was like okay that's done like it was yeah. it was just like it was it was the uh close to the end of the game or the fourth quarter when they finally started to pull away but yeah um that's kind of what i i don't know i never really felt like i was worried about them until i saw i mean especially when i came in in the fourth quarter so i can't there's not much i can really say about this game personally. yes so smu kicks a field goal with three minutes left in the second quarter that made it a 13 10 deficit that they went into the half with and then mm-hmm. again in the second half they just came out and completely <laughs> kicked temple's ass uh what is that ended up being a 37 to 10 run that's that's how they closed the game and that that includes a touchdown that temple scores with 35 seconds left that doesn't matter at all right so yeah so uh yeah SME's fine <laughs> we're not worried about them. They're, they're still doing stuff um you know they got some they got some nice stuff from Tyler Levine in the run game uh in addition to Ulysses Bentley who you obviously expected uh Tamrick Williams had a 49 yard touchdown and actually uh the guy who really emerged as a star in this game was Tyler Page at, at wide receiver he had two catch and runs for touchdowns, one that was 44 and one was 24 yards. Um, you know, he wasn't a guy who we necessarily thought was going to be a big player for them. But, uh, you know, I think it's it's definitely a credit to the squad that they, you know, they can kind of switch it around every couple of weeks. Like, again, Rasheed Rice has a pretty good game, but this was the Tyler Page week. And, you know, you're going to have the Rasheed Rice week. And, you know, you're going to have the Danny Gray week. And, you know, you're going to have the Kylan Granson week, which, which you had this week as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just really balanced on offense. And I think defensively, uh, they had some lapses that I didn't expect. But uh, all in all, I mean, they were they were totally fine. And I mean, yeah, I don't have a whole ton to take away from this. Right. <laughs> so uh, we can move on to number one. Yeah, let's do this. This is fun. All right. So we've been waiting for Texas A&M. Like, I understand this game was against South Carolina. Let's add that context. South Carolina is not like a great team by any means. Um, but we've been waiting for Texas A&M to play a game where they just look good for an entire game. And the other thing that I'll say too is that Texas A&M, and this is not this is not a one year thing. This is like a long time trend thing. It's just a completely different team at home versus on the road. Mm-hmm. Like on the road, they have been decidedly okay, you know, as right. opposed to being incredible at home most years. So to go on the road against South Carolina and beat them 48 to three, that'll do it. <laughs> that was the, is this the most complete game we've seen under Jimbo Fisher? 
I, I think that there's definitely a good argument of that. I, I, let me go back and look to think, uh, to think if there are any others. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I was watching the game and I just kept watching them get every single thing they wanted. Yeah. And in a way, to usually when that happens, right, Jimbo Fisher's teams still don't, you know, slide it up. They're yeah. still not scoring a lot. And I don't know. Like, I, w- I was watching Kellen Mond, and I was like, this guy looks the most comfortable I think I've seen him in a while, a long yeah. time. Yeah, And he didn't, again, he didn't throw the ball for insane amount of yards, but again, that's more of the, uh, of the offense. There, it's, it's a spiller offense first. And then, and then when, uh, by the way, do we have a, a, a diagnosis on spiller? Because I know he was kind of limping towards the end there. I, I don't think that we got one, but let me let me okay, see. We got, we, got, we got a lot of Devonna Chan at the end there. Um, but still, again, that was a positive sign that they could go to that and still continue to keep the foot on the pedal. Um, I mean, Jalen Watermeyer is an absolute monster. Um, he, they, he was uncoverable when they decided to go to him in the red zone. And I don't know, like <laughs> it, was, it was all phases of the game absolutely went A&M's way. The play-action game was working. Um, I think they hit one of the water, one of Weidermeyer's touchdowns was like an absolute rollout, a, a perfectly executed rollout pass to the right that he was just at, he was just uncovered on the left side, and Kellen Mond held onto the ball just long enough to hit him. Um, it was yeah, I don't know. This was just like an absolute game plan, execute execution masterpiece. It, it was really cool to see because we we knew A and M would probably win this game. But we did not know that I, – I did not have confidence that it would be a throbbing, right? Right. Absolute drubbing of a team because we just never see that on the road especially. Um, we saw the secondary forcing turnovers. We saw them, you know, re- refusing to let South Carolina even do anything. And, yeah, I don't know. Because, again, we saw them against a bad team in the year against Vanderbilt. Yeah, first game of the year. But, again, they looked pretty – whatever against Vanderbilt and so I kind of expected to see a little bit better of a performance but to this extent I can't say I expected that <laughs> right so Spiller's fine thank thankfully okay, um good. yeah it was mostly precautionary uh the thing that I'll say too is that this is how much better Texas A&M looks when they are able to have Kellen Mond be a game manager as opposed mm-hmm. to having to go out and win games for them right like mm-hmm. And that's something I've been harping on for really all three years uh, that uh, that Jimbo's been at Texas A&M is that I'm waiting for everything else to catch up, right? And and it finally feels like they're kind of there. The offensive line is playing at a very high level. I think that this was their third straight game, not allowing a single sack, which is very impressive uh, mm-hmm. playing in the SEC, obviously. Regardless of, you know, I, I know they haven't played the best teams over the last three games, but they've, you know, to, to not allow a sack to any SEC team is impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a great Isaiah Spiller game, 131 yards on 18 carries. Um, I, I think that the thing that we really have to point to, right, um, is that, look, I think that when Texas A&M has a really good tight end, I think that it makes all the difference too, right? I mean, they, Yeah, when they get inside the 20 and they have a guy who's just like, yep, him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're almost unstoppable. And right. again, pair, pair that with an emerging guy like Devonna Chan, who, by mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. is – an absolutely lethal receiving threat. Like yep. this is what he showed up for with Ben Marshall to where like, okay, you don't have to run the ball with him. You could have that element of the game, you know, take a, he can be a third down guy where if you need somebody in the backfield or off the wheel route or something like he's an option and he is so, he's looking so good and he's continued to look good 
which is what I've hoped to see when we when he first started to get his little his carries in uh, a week ago or a couple weeks ago. I was like, okay, let's see if this is a a pairing as opposed to just like getting the freshman some carries because again, Spiller having Spiller is awesome, but having Spiller with somebody else who can take the load off is even better and makes this team so much more deadly. Yeah, and, and this is again the other sort of thing where where maybe we need to go back and rewatch some of this too. But it feels like it feels like after you know a long while that that Jimbo Fisher's starting to kind of understand what his offense can do a little better. You know, like mm-hmm. it, defi- there's definitely more read option with Kellen Mond. Right, I'm, Kellen Mond is giving is given the freedom to take the ball a little bit more, and again add three potential running threats, and then you know we're Kellen Mom throwing the ball is maybe a tertiary option for you. Yeah. Like that's, that's ideal probably for him. Right. And, and even with, you know, even along with that, I mean, obviously you mentioned uh, the read stuff, you know, it seems like they're throwing to the middle of the field more, which Mont does at a much higher level than throwing to the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too, is that, you know, from a versatility perspective, adding uh, a chain to Anaya Smith, who also has kind of been in that hybrid role, like, that's not something that we've seen from Texas A&M the first two years is having those guys who you're willing to both flex out wide and bring into the backfield, right? Like, just having that versatility, I think, has been huge for this team. And, and part of it might have just been personnel, right? Like, you, you never know what, what's going on in practice. Um, I also am curious if, if, uh, if Daryl Dickey, you know, their offensive coordinator, who doesn't call plays, you know, obviously Jimba calls the plays, I wonder if he's getting in his ear a little bit because some of this stuff is hallmarks of, of what we maybe expected when Dickey came into, um, you know, just in terms of, of tweaking things a little bit, not changing anything that Jimbo Fish is trying to do. But, but, you know, you're seeing that this offense looks, to me, a little bit more modern than even it did earlier in the year, just with the versatility uh, and, and with the, the dynamism, uh, dynamism. And the other thing, too, is that you have to really credit, I think, Helen Mont for is that – I still don't think that a, a number one receiver has emerged. You know, you no, yeah, their best receiver was out for the year in the game that he broke out. Like, right, right. <laughs> like it's it's he's been doing this with like I don't want to say a bunch of guys, right? There's clearly talent on the field, but like guys who you wouldn't peg as the number one guy. It's almost been the inverse of what Sam Ellinger's had, right? Where it's like we, I don't want to say you know I'm not trying to make a direct comparison, but again, it's this is the similar situation where you're like, who's the guy on this receiving core, and he's just kind of made it work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, again, you know, if you're listening to the podcast and you're angry about Kellen Mond and Sam Ellinger being compared, uh, that's at Ishmael R. Johnson on Twitter. Uh, make sure and uh, make sure and find him there. But yeah, I mean, their their top two receivers were a chain and Isaiah Spiller. You know, both yeah. of whom play a lot in the backfield. After that, Max Wright has. I, I'm pretty sure that that's um, the Haynes King touchdown. So you know, mm-hmm. it was it was in garbage time. But you know, Chase Lane's their top wide receiver, and I mean, you know. Four catches, 39 yards, that's fine. But, like, they've just spread it around at such a high level. They've involved the tight ends uh, so much in this offense in a way that I think is beneficial. They're flexing guys out, getting more from a chain and Anaya Smith and even Isaiah Spiller in the, in the passing game, like I mentioned. Like, I, it just seems like they're finally starting to fully take advantage of their talent. You know, that, right. and that was something that I complained about, especially early in the year, that I, felt like, uh, that I felt like they didn't always do that. I felt like they sometimes were rigid. And it feels like that rigidity is finally blowing away a little. And, and the thing that you say now is, okay, you know, if this is a team that's about to go out and kick South Carolina's ass, well, yep. they're going on the road to Tennessee, and Tennessee has struggled in the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. 
They play Ole Miss. That's going to be a hell of a time, you know, one way or another. They play LSU, and LSU's looked terrible so far. Um, and then Auburn has gotten back into the top 25, but they have been not great either, right? Like South Carolina beat Auburn. So, look, I, I don't want to go and, like, write in 9-1 and one by any means, right? Like, it's you have to go win those next four games, and it's not going to be easy. And, and, again, I mean, I think the LSU and Auburn still are arguably – from a recruiting perspective, more talented than Texas A&M right now, right? right? So you can't, like, assume things. But that said, if you're 9-1 and one and your only loss is to Alabama, who is, by my money, the number one team in America. Probably, yes. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're kind of making a playoff case, right? Like... Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how much like, okay, so let's 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 try to put things in perspective. But mm-hmm. so nine and one with a win over Florida. Yep. Again, they're they're yep. I know they're trailing Florida in the coaches' poll, but again, this is imagining the the CFP committee, so they would yep. theoretically put AM ahead of them. Clemson probably they they they'll get a rematch likely against Notre Dame in the AC title game. So we'll one of those teams will be out probably right 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 we'll assume so. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like again, you might. I think this will solve itself because I mean, see, I'm trying to think. So, so here's the, the thing too, right? This, right? this is this is the thing that I'm also very curious about. Yes. Is that okay? So you've got you've got these rankings. Uh, I I don't know if they've released AP Top 25 as yet for today, but um, mm-hmm. but you know, heading into this week, uh, sec, um, you know, heading into this week, your top four: Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson. Oh, that's the that's actually the new coaches poll, actually. So let's just okay, so let's just work it. off the coaches poll, okay? Right. Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson. You got Florida at five, and like you mentioned, if both of these teams finish nine and one, the, I think the, that the, the committee will put A and M over Florida. Right, right. Yeah. And the other thing too is that Florida will have a loss to Alabama, most likely yes, in the right. title game. Right. So that moves Texas A and M up to five, and. Here, the only my- thing, the only th- the only thing that can happen to me, right? Because again, I'm I'm penciling in Ohio State probably winning the Big Ten, right? Whatever, even though the record and their schedule is whatever, um, I do still think the committee will lean to giving the Big Ten uh, uh, an undefeated Big Ten team a spot. My question is, this to me this hinges on whether Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC title game. Sure, because if Clemson beats Notre Dame. As much as I want to see a And M get into the playoff, I feel like they might throw a bones a, a one loss Notre Dame whose only loss was to Clemson. Um, now, if that doesn't happen, and Notre Dame wins again, then a And M's I see absolutely no reason why a And M should not be in. So here's here's my question, okay? Mm-hmm. And and this is you mentioned it a little bit, but but why exactly should a team in Ohio State that mm-hmm. will at most, at, at absolute best, have a win over ranked Indiana, get into the playoff over Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have an answer in terms of like on paper resume. I mean, the only thing I can think of is, you know, there might be a top 10 Indiana by the time that game rolls around. Um, sure. Which but again, sure, but uh, A&M's win over Florida is better, so I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at that point, I mean, Michigan's probably not going to be ranked, uh, or they're still in there <laughs> no. right now. So, um, 
So, and then I, I, I guess at that point, what, Wisconsin went over the Big Ten in the Big Ten title game would probably be that. And that would help. But, that would help. Yeah, that would help. But again, I, I, if you want me to argue it, no, I'm not, because it's not, I don't think it's a good argument, but I, you know, this just is the format and a Big Ten, undefeated Big Ten team with a win over, you know, even though it's Indiana, you know, an unbeaten Indiana and then a, 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 a probably a undefeated Wisconsin in the title game. They're just going to get in. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just the way it's been. Um, I don't think it's a good argument because, again, I think a win over Florida is a better win than both of those. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's just the way it is. Let, let me just real quick read off Ohio State's entire schedule to you, okay? Yeah. So, you got Nebraska. In fact, let me, let me real quick pull up the Big Ten standings, too, so that I can let you know their records as well because it's, it's not great. I, I'll tell you that. It's not great. Uh, so you got Nebraska, Nebraska right now sitting at 0 and 2. You got Penn State, Penn State right now sitting at 0 and 3, which is shocking by the way, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, you beat Rutgers by 22. Cool. Rutgers actually 1 and 2. So Rutgers to this point is the best team that Ohio State has beaten. So, you know, cool. <laughs> Next you go and play Maryland, who uh, Maryland is currently 2 and 1. Uh, now, now, granted, I'm sure they'll get bonus points for beating a Tagovailoa, but, you know, sure. You play Indiana. Indiana looks very good right now. They're 3-0, and of course. Um, you play Illinois, who's 0-3. You play Michigan State, who's 1-2. and The one win coming over, Michigan, who is currently 1-2. and uh, So, cool? I, I don't know. I mean, like... Like, the, the teams right now – because actually the other thing that we have to mention, too, you know who's on top of the Big Ten West right now? Uh, I do not. Northwestern. Oh, God. So, Interesting. North, Northwestern's 3-0. Now, uh, Northwestern, Purdue, and Wisconsin are all undefeated. Wisconsin only played one game, though. Um, and the other thing, too, that's going to be interesting is that Wisconsin, obviously, is going to play way fewer games than everybody else because of uh, COVID issues, which, by the way, is, is a, a whole other dimension that – we haven't even discussed when it comes to like the big 10 having no margin for error from that perspective. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I understand that it will happen that Ohio state will be top four and will go into the playoff and you know that they're ranked number three right now because they beat Rutgers. But I mean, I don't think the resume is more impressive. <laughs> you know, I, I don't see the argument. I think you can certainly make the argument that the team, is, is likely better, right? Like, I mean, I think yeah. that's a separate argument, but from a resume perspective, I, I just, I mean, yeah, Texas A&M had to play Alabama. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's the knock right now. <laughs> um, and on top of that, I think that it's obvious to anybody who's watching that A&M has gotten pretty substantially better as the season's gone along. And the other thing too, is that, uh, is that obviously, you know, even if Alabama starts to not be as dominant, Texas A&M played them at full strength, you know? So it's like, I don't know, man. It's, I, I, it, I lived through 2014. Uh, I don't want to have to live through another dumb 2014 again you know, with Texas A&M here. Mm -hmm. But I, I certainly feel like, again, if, if Texas A&M gets to 9-1 and one, and, you know, short of, short of obviously maybe like Clemson if they get to 9-1 and one and, and their one loss is to, to Notre Dame. You know, obviously that situation is going to be interesting. <clears throat> like, they're going to have as good a case as any 9-1 and one team in America 
And really, as good a case as any 9-1 team in America, or one-loss team really in America, has had in the playoff era, right? Because their one loss would be to number one Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, there's still a lot of weeks left to happen. I mean, you know, now that I've said this, it's like it's like with the text tech thing. Now I've jinxed it, and so I oh, apologize. Oh God, yeah, it's gonna be bad. Uh, again, again, you can find me on Twitter to get angry at Ishmael R. Johnson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, there's a path there. I think. I think that's very clear to me that that there's a path ahead. And the other thing too is, you know, we're we're assuming that everybody else is going to take care of business, and there is no guarantee of that. So yeah. definitely. Like I said, uh, forward, uh, like he was saying, uh, forward all hate mail and uh, uh, um, critiques to Matt underscore step 817. <laughs> all of your college takes, uh, you know, all that's, our, that's our college. He's a Pac-12 accounts. guy, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so he loves college football. <laughs> right, right. So if you're really angry when Oregon makes a playoff over Texas and um, <laughs> Matt Step's your guy. <laughs> anyway that's pretty much do it for us uh but real quick before we go uh obviously uh thanks again to our sponsor north texas honda dealers if there's a team that really could have used a honda helping hand this week who is it oh golly you go first i go on first last yeah actually uh, wednesday actually i'm i'm you know sometimes we do a player sometimes we do a team i'm gonna do a conference uh conference usa Oh, God. Yeah. We, we could use a lot of help enforcing some of those protocols. We could use a whole lot of help, uh, you know, keeping people in line. <laughs> you know, maybe we need mm-hmm. to, you know, and, and I do want to say, right, like, I don't want to make it sound like that this is proof that they did something wrong, right? Like, this is a deadly mm-hmm. virus that spreads through the air. That sucks. Right. <laughs> like, right, that, right. You know, th- things happen when guys are even close to each other when they're living together, this stuff happens. So I, I really don't want to make it sound like I think that they did something wrong. Cause I don't think that's the case, but, uh, but you know, at the same time, if we got to have North Texas Honda dealers send a Honda helper to every single player's room and mm-hmm. you know, make sure they're not doing anything. Uh, I mean, look, maybe that's what we have to do. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's a good one to start off with. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. 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 So it's, man, I, I hope that uh, that everything ends up being okay. Um, you know, I was I was talking to some sources, and North Texas does believe that they're going to be okay to go on the road against UAB next week. Um, you know, UTEP uh, they haven't played a game in a couple of weeks because of the case in El Paso, but they are planning to go on the road. So hopefully, everything will be good on that. From I don't believe that UTEP actually has cases within the program. It's just the situation in El Paso, and and granted, I mean, even even if it comes to just traveling, like they might decide that the situation in El Paso is, is to where they should not even be thinking about doing that. And that mm-hmm. is a decision that I fully support them to make. Um, but yeah, <laughs> you know, not, not to get too serious with this one, but conference USA really could, uh, could use your help. North Texas Honda dealers. Definitely. So first of Johnson, I'm Shahan J. Raja. You can find all of our work at textfootball.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Text Football. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. Make sure to check out our basketball coverage at texasbasketball.com and pick up a copy of the 2021 Basketball Preview Edition. So that should pretty much do it for us. Thanks so much for joining us. And we will be back with you guys again next week.